I'm Chris Biddle and welcome to Inside AgriTurf, a series of podcasts in which I will be talking to those at the heart of the farm and grass machinery industry. Welcome to episode 5 of Inside AgriTurf. For the next two episodes, I'll be looking at the increasing use of robotics across our industry. And first, robotics in an agricultural setting, to use present terminology. In fact, continuing the use of new language, perhaps one of the best current examples of social distance farming. Around five years ago, lecturers from the Agricultural Engineering Department at Harper Adams University in Shropshire hatched a plan to grow a crop from initial cultivation through drilling, feeding, spraying and eventual harvesting completely remotely without any human intervention in the field. Their project, Hands Free Hectare, completed two successful seasons, gained worldwide coverage and won a number of awards including the BBC Food and Farming Award. This year, Hands Free Hectare has been renamed and scaled up to become Hands Free Farm, comprising a number of fields totaling 35 hectares or getting on for 90 acres. I'm joined today by one of the originators of the team, Kit Franklin, a senior lecturer in agricultural engineering at Harper Adams. Kit, it's great to catch up. Uh, this would have been an important year for you as you really scaled up your operation. Have the current restrictions meant that you've had to rethink the programme for this year? Yeah, it's been a bit of a challenge, uh, to say the least. Um, being based at, at the university um, and obviously being a lecturer myself, it's, it's had multiple levels of, in, uh, of impact across both research and student work and student uh, lecturing. Uh, yeah, thinking all back to what all happened, but before lockdown was officially called, Harper Adams made the call to, to shut down teaching the week before. So we moved to online teaching basically the, the, the Monday that then turned into the day that Boris announced uh, lockdown. So we were already trying to work out what we were doing with, with remote teaching and things like that. And then, and then lockdown was, was officially called and that obviously then made a big issue of, right, what, what do we do about our research? How, how does that affect us? And basically it couldn't have happened at a worse time. So, so we, we came from a really bad winter. We, we should have been drilling winter crops, um, but we had such heavy rain, a lot of our fields uh, for the hands-free project. You had uh, Storm Dennis to contend with, I, as I remember. Yeah, so we, we had, um, yeah, we were trying to drill crops, you know, back in October and basically we had a flooded, flooded field. So, so that, that put a stop to that. We then decided, right, we'll change the whole, you know, the whole farm being done spring crops this year. We had basically the plan was to start drilling our spring crops on the 27th of March. And that included having HRH, uh, the Princess Royal, to come and see us start the project. And then... As, no pressure uh, then. No, exactly. And, and then as we know, on the 23rd, that went out the window. So, so yeah, we had to sort of reevaluate um, we all started working from home as researchers and obviously our partner companies couldn't then travel into harper and, and, and work on the projects either so started working remotely from home doing what we could uh, there was you know a lot of, lot of development that could happen at home and then we were able to finally get out in the field and do some 
uh, you know, do some drilling with it, we, where we drill a cover crop in, in May, which was just to salvage something from the first year of what is hands-free farm. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been testing. Let's go right back to the beginning, if we could. Where was the, or where and how was the first seed planted? I don't mean the, the, the first physical seed, but the first seed of the idea. Was it a mad pub session or a, a really considered discussion that you were having with some of your colleagues? Yeah, so the, the story, the, the sort of soundbite story goes, it, it, it happened in the pub. Um, there, was, there, was certainly, there was certainly pub involved, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a... A, a eureka one moment thing way back in uh 2015 uh, myself and my colleague jonathan gill were working together on research projects at harper adams and and some of those were robotic projects some of them were broader ag mechanization you know engineering um you know projects making new designing new machines uh, and basically there was this whole conversation about agricultural robotics something that i was very passionate about but it was very stagnant basically. And, um, you know, it hadn't really moved for a long time. There was a lot of good ideas, but no one was really doing anything with them. I always say, you know, if you look, look on the internet for robot tractors, you'll see things that drive around car parks or drive around rugby pitches and, and not a lot more than that. And, and basically me and John were a bit frustrated. We, we felt we had the technology to do it. Jonathan being heavily involved with drones had really good drone technology that could fly flying machines autonomously yet people were seemingly struggle to drive a, a tractor autonomously so it didn't make sense to us and we, we thought we could we could do something with it so and, and of course there's there's robots wandering around mars as well so well, yeah, yeah exactly so yeah and sometimes in my conference talks actually i show a video of, 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 a, of a mars rover landing on mars you know and it's like this is happening, you know, eight months through space. And, you know, at, you know, the fact that you can't apparently drive a tractor around a field is just, no, of course you can't. You can't. <laughs> so, so me and John were very frustrated. There was, there had been sort of a general academic conversation about who will be the first to do it. And we thought, well, why not, why not us? So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was conversations in the lab. It was conversations at the pub after work. It was, uh, and eventually the, the hands-free hectare name, as it was at the time, came out of a, a sort of 15-minute chat just after lunch one day. And we were just saying, well, what are we going to call this thing? It needs to, with the whole point, what we wanted to do was show it could be done. We weren't trying to do a secret, super academic paper. We were trying to tell the world about it. So it was really important. Let's think of a good name. And, and it's sort of a well, let's 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 say we do a hectare of land. What rhymes with hectare, or what you know, what works with hectare, and hands-free sort of fit the bill. So yeah, and then uh, up on the wall it went on a post-it note. Is the next bit of the legend is we wrote it on a post-it note and stuck it on the wall. I hope you've kept that post-it note for posterity. Um, no, it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> we don't know where it is. Oh John's dear, it'd be worth a, <laughs> worth a mint in time. Um, was it always the idea rather than sort of take individual pieces of kit? Um, kit sorry uh to, to to actually come up with an automated farming system that that would work and fit all together i think so 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 if you take it from mine and john's point of view we we thought we had some technology in a drone that we could put in a tractor and make it drive itself and then we thought we could put that same technology in a combine and make that drive itself as well and we could we could monitor those and control them from a laptop and, and very quickly, we obviously needed to partner up with someone and that's uh, to, to get some funding through the door. Uh, and that was where we, we knew Clive Blacker, who 
is the uh, was the director of precision decisions at the time, but also was working with government at the time. And he used to regularly basically bring sort of trade trips around Harper uh, once a month or so. So we got to know Clive quite well um, from those from those visits, and we basically pitched it to him. Uh, and then, of course, his business and his interests are all about precision farming and crop monitoring and soil monitoring. So then it, straight away, well, it, it couldn't just be an autonomous thing as soon as we had Clive involved. It had, to, it had to look at the bigger picture. And obviously, one of the reasons to go to autonomous machines for farming is to try and make smaller, lighter machines that don't need drivers. Because the only reason we have big, heavy tractors that are massive is because we don't have very many people to drive them, um, yeah. essentially. So we're trying to reverse that. So we're trying to be better for farming anyway. Um, so I think it was always trying to be a systems approach. And how, yeah. how easy was it to find the, the hectare, the, the land that, on which you were going to operate? Um, how did that process work? Obviously, we're at Harper. We, Harper Adams, for anyone that doesn't know who's listening, is a, is a university that's, that's all about the rural economy, all about farming and, and, and the field to fork journey. Um, and we, ha we have our own farm estate. So it was relatively easy to essentially secure what was quite a small piece of land at the time from the farm. Um, you know, I, I, we paid a rent for the, for yep. the land um, and, and, and just took the field and took it on and, and, and obviously put our fence around and, and put the various bits of infrastructure we needed into that site. Um, so that was relatively easy. The bigger thing, I guess, was maybe finding some of the machines and trying to get that aspect of it sorted. What, what was um, the criteria that you used? You, you talked about having using lighter machines. So that had to be the, the, the basis around which you worked, I guess. Yeah. So academic reason is we wanted small light machines to be more precise and better for the soil yeah on on top of that we want there's a clear safety benefit of starting with small things you know if yeah. i'd gone and automated a quad track and it went wrong that'd be yeah. a scary thing so yeah so there was there's also there was some, there's, there's other levels to it so yeah certainly size shape and we had the sort of we basically had compact tractor sort of the, the the golf course tractor in mind yes um in fact it, yeah strangely in in our application for funding i used a picture of an iziki tractor to to show the the people reading our bid what sort of scale we were thinking yeah. we have no link to iziki at the time but i just used an iziki tractor as a picture because i did and then the, the the other bit of the stipulation then to come back to that sorry to answer your question uh, was it needed to be hydrostatic because right. we wanted to take because gearboxes and clutches and all that were going to be hard work and therefore we wanted hydrostatic or I guess in, a, in an ideal world we might have gone for some sort of variable transmission or whatever but but you know in the scale we were talking hydrostatic was what we wanted so I did actually I did a full spreadsheet I basically went through every spec sheet of every small tractor available um, including the cost and then Completely randomly, Richard Tyrrell, who um, who was sort of Izeki sort of brand lead, I think uh, at the time, yes. before before Izeki was then independent in the UK, basically came up to me at a show where I was on the stand. I was on the Harper stand, just selling Harper, and he he said basically he he basically been to Harper the week before for um i think to show his to take his daughter on a, an open day it was all very brand <laughs> sort of thing so he'd been on an open day to harper hands-free had been mentioned 
And he basically came up to me on a show stand the week after and said, well, I've heard about this thing called hands-free. Do you have a tractor? Do you want a tractor? And I went, yeah, I want a tractor. And I know for a fact, because you're in the spreadsheet, you've got a tractor that the size and shape I want. And, and that was where, well, that was where that came from. So, uh, and, and the rest of the kit, there's the combine drills and so um, Yeah. Sorry. That was a long story about one piece. Of no, machine. I'll no do that's all right. <laughs> um, the, 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 the combine was a case of we needed something that was a fitting scale. Um, therefore, the sort of the plot, um, trials plot combine was an obvious place to look. We didn't have the budget to afford anything new and shiny. So we ended up with our late 80s Sampo that I think was, was sort of destined potentially for the scrap heap. But we bought it from, I think they're called Trial Solutions. And, and, and yeah, we, 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 we got them to basically do a full, they, they fully went through it, changed all the belts, all the bearings, you know, so it was like as good as it could be when it came to us. The drill was, do you know what? I can't quite remember how we got first went to Simtech. No, well, it, do, it doesn't matter. It got there. Really. Yeah, no, I think yeah. We, you know, we went to Simtech again. They were, they were, I think the key with that is again, I think they'd made a drill of a similar scale that they were trying to sell into uh, vineyards. To, oh, right. to drill between the, the, the rows of vines. Yeah. But, um, and, and basically they had a drill of a sensible scale. Sure, sure. So, well, well, Kit, yeah. Just sort of talk me through now the, the, the timeline of where you started, the first drillings uh, and, and so on. As I said, we, the idea went on paper in 2015. Funding was applied for... Uh, Feb 16, which was then granted June 16. We so we officially kicked off the project in October 2016 with Hands Free Hector. Uh, we had no, absolutely nothing at that time other than, other than the funding and the idea. Um, although we did have a very clear plan as how it was going to be done. Um, so then we you know sourced the various machines, sourced the components, and we had the first operation in the field uh, March. 2017 then where we sprayed the field off because there was grass in the field so we, we we cleared that out and then and then we drilled into april um 2017 and what crop were you drilling and that was a spring barley for that first year okay um which again just to give everyone their shout outs that actually came from kws who again have supported us throughout Brilliant. the project which is yeah. great yeah, then we then we basically followed that through with all the various sprays and fertilizers it required uh, through to harvest in September of, of 2017. And at that point is when we said we'd achieved the world first. Yeah. Um, because I think people had drilled crops before, people had combined crops with robot combines. But I think I think our claim was that and our claim still is that we were the first people to do that whole process from start to finish. Okay. And no one, no one has come up with any evidences to show otherwise yet. And it's been all around the world. So we'll, 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 we'll keep claiming it. Then the second year, we basically uh, secured funding from the AHDB uh, to continue. They really liked the fact that it had been a good news story about agriculture. And we'd been all across, you know, mainstream media, you know, basically ag in a good light in the media. They were quite keen to carry on with. Were you, were you getting good coverage from some non-farming yeah. publications and the, and the public? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got the BBC covering us quite early on, um, yeah. which was all, you know, I have to say, you know, it wasn't all fluke. It was all part of the plan sort of thing. We, yeah, sure. We, we got the, we got, we invited the journalists in. Um, and then once the BBC had sort of run it, then all sorts of other people pick up on it. At that off, point. Yeah, yeah. Off on it. So, yeah. 
so it went, you know, we've been in the Times a few times, <laughs> and then uh, we've been in uh, all around the world. So, yeah, um, in America, I think CNN covered us, I think, at one point. Sure. But also then a lot of print media. So, yes. yeah, the, the New York Times and, and, and the New China and yeah. Hindu Today and blah, blah. So all around the world. But, um, and, and the HDB liked that, so they, they agreed to fund us for a second year, where we then grew a winter wheat. Yep. Um, and we just improved the system a bit. So that went 17 to 18. And then 18 to 19 then, we sort of had a year where we didn't grow a crop, but we tried to concentrate on the technical side of it, the technical developments. We were involved with two projects that year. One was a 5G project um, where we were looking at, you know, a, moving from a Wi-Fi based communication system to a 5G based communication system. Yeah. Um, Sadly, that didn't quite all work out. The other thing was we were doing a CAV project, and that was all about uh, connected autonomous vehicles, trying to get the tracks to drive from the shed to the field, uh, which we did fairly successfully. And at that stage, Farm Scanner Agriculture joined our sort of consortium, and we moved away from what was before sort of drone technology, and now we and moved into sort of proprietary technology at that point. Um, the drone stuff had all been open source and free, you know, available to everybody. Um, whereas now we're, we're sort of locked, locked uh, up a bit more. And the, 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 the oft used phrase, of course, is it's farm to fork. Um, out of yep. your barley and out of your wheat, uh, you got uh, bottles of gin to start with. So that was farm yep. to glass. Um, yeah. And I think in the second year you um, made some pizzas, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So that was, that was sort of what, what can we do? We had... Um, we had a VIP scheduled to come on the day we were going to harvest our wheat. Um, so it was like, right, what, what can we do with it? Jonathan, my, say, my colleague, he's very keen on doing stuff and, and, and there's that sort of fun aspect. So he, he was like, right, let's make pizzas. So we got a mill on the side of the field and we were milling the wheat as it came off the field and, and then turning it into pizzas. And, um, and then the VIP, uh, which was all hush-hush before before he arrived but was um was jeremy corbyn who obviously oh, right. is, a, is a fairly big day for for harper to have the, the leader yeah, of the opposition of um out and um and, and a fairly big day for us in terms of you couldn't get higher profile than that to come out and see your project and talk to us about what we're doing and about what we're trying to trying to do so You've talked about a consortium. Um, you've got a group of people. You've picked up odd. Um, you've picked up other uh, sponsors and supporters and technical support along the way. Is it a is it a formal partnership you've got between all of you, or is it a, a sort of fairly loose arrangement? I guess where we are now, which we didn't finish off with our timeline, is is now we're doing a hands free farm, which yes. has been since two thousand and nineteen, and it's it's a three year project. And, and, and basically as that, we are still individual entities, but we have a collaboration agreement that's obviously held by, uh, you know, it has to be seen by Innovate UK before they will fund the consortium. So, so we have a formal agreement in place between the entities, which are Harper Adams, Precision Decisions, uh, FarmScan, uh, Ag, and then also AgriEpi Centre are involved yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it, we're still separate people, but we try and work closely together. And, and I encourage as much as possible for the people that work for the different companies and organizations to work in the same place at the same time. Cause I think, and, and try and not look at it that we're 
for the sake of this project, we're not separate companies. We're, we're one team trying to do a thing. And, and that was why I would argue that was one of the big reasons why the first, the first two years were so successful was because Martin, who uh, works for Precision Decisions, basically came and worked at Harper Adams for, for two years. And, and having him directly on site and him and Jonathan basically were, were full-time working on the project essentially as though we were our own entity so and um in all your project meetings uh, is there is there sweetness and light do you have robust discussions are you all uh, on the same page yeah no most of the time we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we've got a very good friendly relationship and, and and everyone's doing well out of it i think that's really important as well i mean me and john as academics have have done well out of it we, we we do good academic things we get to go and talk at events and conferences and stuff um all the other companies that have either you know either our partners or sponsors have all got good promo out of it they've also got good development out of it so everyone's getting a good outcome so that's that's first important there's no one getting left behind um which means we're all you know, there's a good happy relationship in terms of that but yeah, we're not afraid to to say that's a bad idea, or that's a good idea, and and, and and we and we actively come up with some pretty crazy ideas. You know, we we want to push the boat out with with what's possible, and therefore sometimes that causes a reaction going the other way. Clive Clive Blacker is 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 very keen to uh, stir things up with with crazy <laughs> ideas, and, and and Jonathan's the same, and potentially me and Martin sort of sit there in the middle trying to rein them in a little bit sometimes i think um, <laughs> but just, yeah just, it's, it's good so just to ex explain and and you mentioned it there that the hands-free hector has now increased to a title of a hands-free farm which covers 35 acres uh, hectares is that correct and is it is it based around your original plot there we've, we've moved to the other side of campus uh, again if you if you know harper it's it's on the side of a, a main road and, and we've sort of moved to the other side of the main road onto a different block of land we've got five fields which total 35 hectares um the idea is it answers a lot of the queer the, the sort of um, negatives we got when we did the hectare that it is a square flat field my fields aren't square and flat no and now we have five real fields you know inverted commas so they're they're different sizes shapes topographies um trees telegraph poles all the things that real fields have so we we now have as part of our challenge yeah so it's made the whole thing more real uh, and basically it means we have to make the system more robust and more user friendly i guess which i i i jump in with my own point here sorry chris is, is i listened to your previous um uh, podcast with, with david from Ozaki, and he made a really critical point that until the 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 automation stops being a uh, sort of university project and you know it won't ever take off and, and we fully believe that um you know that's completely correct what we're hoping to do and what our partners are hoping to do is make a product that is usable by any tractor driver out there currently so they can get off of their tractor and, and, and then control their new autonomous one via a phone app or a tablet or, or whatever. And, and, and is it intended that, um, that, that the kit that you're, you're developing, the technology that you're developing becomes a retrofit fit onto existing equipment because obviously there's some very futuristic robotic machines around and, and you're using machines that people see uh, around the field all the time. I mean, what do you feel about that? 
how do you think the future is going to go? Yeah, so there's multiple ways on that answer. I mean, for me, we used relatable machines. I, 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 I used to go around to talk to farmers about ha- uh, farming with robots, and, they, and, and all the pictures were all of sci-fi blobs. Yeah. And, and, and the sci-fi blobs put them off straight away. They weren't interested. No. So, so a big thing for me was let's robot farm with tractors. People yes. understand tractors. Yeah. They trust tractors. They, they can relate to tractors. So, so that, was, that was a really big thing for me. In time, I do specialist robots that look different to tractors come through. Of course they do. What we are trying to do as a consortium and what, you know, FarmScan particularly, who's our sort of technology, sort of the physical on-tractor technology partner, is by the end of this project, they want to they basically pre-production prototype, essentially what they're developing with us, that is a retrofitable on any tractor. So, yeah. um, and, then, and then the part that Precision Decisions are doing is then the control dashboard of that. So you, if you have the Precision Decisions app that you can do your farm management on, there will be essentially a plug-in to that app that is now a control system to say, tractor A, field B. And, and off it goes and does the job. That, that's, the, that's the aim and ambition. And, and the, what that tractor is, is up to you because you fit the system to that tractor. For me, I hope that's a smaller, lighter, more precise tractor. But, you know, it, it, realistically, I'm sure they'll find their way into different size machines that look, you know, that look all sorts of different. Uh, but, and you'll, you'll please all the soil scientists as well. So, uh, um, yeah. of course, one piece of technology that... Um, hasn't been around for all that long in in agriculture drones how important has drones been in your whole project so we wanted to do all the agronomy without going in the field so we didn't just not want to drive the tractors we wanted to stay out of the field so the the, the drones have been absolutely priceless i guess <laughs> so, yes yeah, we can yeah put it put a drone up fly over a field we can take a big wide area picture but we can also hover down at low levels and we can take photos of literally of a weed and, and send that back to our agronomist um, who can then look at it remotely. They've been absolutely, you know, incredibly important to us in terms of agriculture as a whole. I, you know, 10 years ago, there was an awful, or not quite 10 years ago, probably seven, eight years ago, there was an awful lot of hype around drones and, and what would they do? Classic Ghana hype cycle type stuff that they probably didn't meet the expectations of a lot of the hype at the time. But I think I think they have become a useful tool to, an, to 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 certain people in certain circumstances. You know, I think it's going to be the similar thing with the automation. I think yeah. autonomous ground vehicles will find their place in a in in, in a suitable place. Um, and it will be evolution, obviously, rather than revolution. I think so. Yeah, I I I always say that it's going to be sooner than you think, though. And um, I've got lots of people who will you know argue me to their you know to a blue in the face that I'm wrong. But <laughs> I think that. I, we can do it now. We, we've shown the world we can drive tractor by itself now. And I think that, you know, I, I think by the middle of the 2020s, it won't be shocking, not saying it will be normal, but my, my line is it won't be a shock to see a tractor in a field, a machine in a field that doesn't have a driver on it. No. If, no. if, I'm, if, I, if I'm driving down the road and there's maybe a destoning tractor, the, the front one might have a human in it, the second one might not. You know, and, sure. and that shouldn't be a surprise to me in five years' time. I don't think a, a project like this kit is, um, by definition, a roller coaster ride. What, uh, what what's the most uh, disappointments that you've had? What, what was the most disappointing aspects of it? When when did you sort of scratch your head and think you were going, taking two steps backwards rather than than forward? 
Yeah, so that's what we say. I sort of hinted towards this earlier. I think it's the the, the work we did with 5G was really disappointing. You know, mention exactly the circumstance, but but essentially we we went into a project as a user of the technology. Obviously, we're not we're not 5G developers by any means, and really the technology didn't come through. So we had a you know we we pinned a lot of hopes on what this could do. It's going to open so many opportunities for us. Uh, you know, we put a lot of effort and we, we felt like we did everything we could and the, and the technology never really arrived, which was sad. And, and in the same year, we were doing the CAV work where we were trying to navigate the farm tracks. And, and we basically wanted to buy a solution for the sort of what I call situational awareness. We, the machines drive autonomously based on GPS and that's always going to be the way. But what we wanted was, was greater you know, intelligence around what's in front of us. Is there a tree hanging out of the hedge and I can drive around that or is it a human and I should probably stop and let them move? And at the time there was tens of companies advertising that they could do this. And then you got through the office doors and we did this many times. We took lots of trips down to London, you know, and, and, and lots of video calls and the rest of it. And every time you scratch the surface and they couldn't really do it. And it was, you know, I, d- I don't want to be completely anti and negative sort of startups, but a lot of them were startups, you know, and they had great pictures, great websites, didn't really have anything to show for it. Or they might have something to show for it if you were willing to basically fund their next year of development, you know? <laughs> and it was like, yeah. wow. So that was all pretty disheartening for a year, but that we thought we could do a thing and we turned out we couldn't do basically because the tech wasn't really mature as people were making out that it was, I think. I think that's, again, it's changing. It, it, it's developing rapidly, but, but yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and connectivity in rural areas particularly, obviously it's a big issue and, and one which yeah, well, was gradually being addressed. But Yeah, the 5G thing was, was, you know, so important for so many things. It was important for being able to upload, you know, drone files to a cloud to, to process it. It's, it's yeah. important. So if you really want the sort of ag tech revolution that people seem to want to happen, the government is encouraging us to develop ag tech all the time. Mm-hmm. while the linchpin for that is connectivity of course uh, and so it was yeah it was yeah 5g has been a, a bit uh, it should be great if it, if it comes one day <laughs> and, and 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 during this journey what's the, what's the most what's the best moment you've had uh lots of lots of best moments i think i think the very first time we put the sprayer in the field and it worked um Clive was ran, you know, Clive, had, uh, as much as he's been a big part of the project, isn't a day-to-day, day-to-day involved. And, and it just so happened he was at half of the day we did it. So it was me, John, Martin and Clive all on the side of the field watching our tractor spraying. And uh, yeah, that was pretty special. Obviously, the day that we then combined and harvested the field uh, for the first time, uh, although we only did probably... I think we did a quarter of the field with me there and then I had to get on a flight to India because I had a prior engagement in India. As you do. Um, and by the time I landed in India, it had been the next day and they'd finished. So I, I, get, I get off the plane in India, I go to a hotel, I get on the Wi-Fi and my you know, Twitter feed is just filled with people tweeting about the hands-free hectare being combined and and the, all the journalists have been there and, you know, I think the Farmers Weekly have been there and filmed it and their video had gone you know, viral, I guess. Not yeah. viral, but, you know, 
yeah, it was it was like uh, yeah, quite emotional. I was sort of sat there on my own in India and sort of kind of felt like I'd missed a lot of the party. But it was it was great, you know. Oh, that, never forget it. That's terrific. You talked a little bit about the vision. Um, presumably, the overall vision and the overall objective is one is labour based, the availability of labour. And the, the other is protection of soil. What is going to drive this eventually? What's going to be the trigger? I, it has to be. It has to be economic. I'm, I'm, I'm more and more come around to the thing that, you know, things only happen if the business case lines up. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer and I like making cool toys, you know, great. No one's going to buy my cool toys if they don't make financial sense. No. It, 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 it is, you know, I'm fully aware of that. If we don't get the business case in line, if we don't get the economics to stack up, it won't stack up. And as soon as they do, farmers are businessmen at the end of the day or businesswomen at the end of the day, and, and, and that's going to drive the change. So, so yeah, labor's a big part of it, but, it, but actually the labor's only a part of it because it's an economic thing. You can't afford more people to drive tractors on farm. So if I can provide a cheaper, basically, way of producing crop, then you'll come to me or my system, you know? So I think we've started to show that as well. Criti critically, from an academic standpoint, um, we've now got a, a colleague of mine, uh, uh, Professor James Learned Burke, who is yeah. a, an, econ a, an economist, and he is now actually crunching the numbers for us. And it looks like we are a cheaper way of growing crops. That's, that's unarguable in a way, isn't it? And uh, it, it's, it's not an argument. You can't argue against the economics if you can prove it. No, is that if, if we can come up with some solid figures, then you, it's a no brainer at that point. So just to repeat, this, this current hands-free farm, 35 hectares, this is a three-year programme, you said? Yeah, um, and we, we kind of missed a year in a, in a sense. We should, have, we should have been combining now. Um, and, and, and as it has happened, we've, so we've managed to drill a cover crop into a couple of the fields and we've managed to then go back in and top that cover crop off. So we've, we've sort of made the most of the year as, as best we could, but... You know, ultimately, weather and pandemics. Uh, you know. So those those were the, the the real reasons why you didn't plant cereals, is it? These was yeah. It, was it the weather yeah, or yeah. the pandemic or combination of both? Um, well, weather stopped us in the winter. Pandemic stopped us in the spring. Yeah, okay. Um, so so the plan for next year, the, the following year. Back into a reasonable rotation is the plan. So uh, two of the fields going into wheat, two uh, winter wheat, two fields going into winter beans. And one of the fields will go into a uh, spring oats following on from uh, a cover crop that we'll put in over winter. Yeah. Right. So we're trying to be as, you know, as good as possible to the soil and, and all those things. That's brilliant. Okay. Well, look, uh, Kit, I, I think we've had a lovely trawl through your, your project um, and, and, Related congratulations on winning the, uh, the BBC food and farming award. That must've been quite a fillip to you. Yeah, well, going back to your what your best moments. I mean, there's there's too many to mention. Really, that was that again. That was a shock. We were all, you know, we were sat there in the audience. I think four or five nominations in our category. You know, we're not expecting to have to walk up on stage and make a speech, but we did. So um, it's uh, yeah, great. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been completely remarkable. We've ended up, you know, we've 
walk through the doors of Buckingham Palace. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, been now, you know, regularly find myself fairly regularly find myself in in Westminster in the House of Parliament for for her things. Yeah, great. It's just been it's been madness, you know, and and no one knew who we were four years ago. And Not bad for a lecture for, in agricultural engineering, is it? Yeah. it we um, we often struggle for recognition in the outside world. Congratulations. I think uh, you've achieved a lot to uh, remedy that. Kit, many, many thanks for joining me. And just thank you again. And uh, best of luck with your continuing project. No, cheers, Chris. Thanks for, thanks for talking to me. Well, that was a really fascinating account of an ambitious project. And it was interesting to hear Kit think that it could become reality sooner rather than later. Now, next week, it's going to be robotics in a garden setting. One of the successes in recent years in the garden machinery industry has been the sales of robotic mowers. And I will be talking to a manufacturer of robotic mowers about the market in general and to a dealer about his experiences in selling to the general public. That's next week. I'm Chris Biddle. Thanks for joining me. And this is Inside Agriturf. Music